Thanks for listening to the Art Tactic Podcast. I'm Adam Green. In this week's episode, we're here with Javier Lombreras, CEO of Arte Mundi Management Limited. Javier closed his company's first art investment fund last year with a 17% net annualized return over five years, and he's planning to launch a new fund shortly. Javier, thanks so much for speaking with us. How have you been? I've been great. Thank you, Adam. Thanks for asking me back to your podcast. You're one of the major voices in the art world when it comes to art funds. So few have launched and worked successfully. For listeners who aren't as familiar with Artemunde, tell us a little bit more about the fund you closed last year. What kind of art made up the fund and what was your strategy in terms of the art you purchased as well as when you would buy and sell from the fund? I have to say something about art investment funds. An art investment fund is not an art investment fund unless it is very methodically, methodically um, diversified. And it is diversified in terms of meeting the, the, the strongest demand that there is for artworks at any given point on the different categories. Let's say you want to collect some impressionist, um, uh, post-war, contemporary, and um, a modern art, you definitely need to keep an eye on what's developing on the art market. You need to come and buy those works um, uh, correctly, and you need to plan your, uh, your strategy over time on when you're going to divest of those assets. I would say that the golden rules will be, especially for us, I mean, there are many players in the art market. We, it is, I, I have to start saying that it's, people think, and I was having this conversation today with, a, with an important gallery here in New York, and people think that just because sometimes we see this extraordinary results at auction, they think that the market is great and that everybody can turn, can turn a very easy profit. I can tell you from, from my long experience of 27 years in the art world that it is very hard to make profit in the art world. I mean, a 10, 15, 20% return on a painting is, I mean, a 20% return on a painting is almost unheard of. Unless you're holding the artwork for a long period of time, you're hoping that the, the, the taste and the tendencies in the market are going to shift to other artists that you are buying, and then you can make larger profits. But that only happens, again, in contemporary art. And contemporary artists don't have a track record for an art investment fund that has a fiduciary duty to tell their investors that you're going to buy contemporary artists hoping that it's going to go up 100% in the next two or three years because nobody has that magic crystal ball. So an art investment fund has to invest in artists that have solid track records, and you have to purchase primarily, this is our golden rule number one, you need to purchase works from private collectors as opposed to buying from even galleries or auction houses because you end up, you start at a disadvantage because you're buying at fair market or above fair market um, values. Uh, because we all know that the high premium the auction houses charges, then you need to keep, this is golden rule number two, you need to keep your general administrative and operations and maintenance costs under tight control. An art investment fund does not need to be at Rockefeller Center, does not need to have a lavish office in York Avenue. An art investment fund has to be very concerned about its expenses. And if you're able to keep your expenses low, that, for instance, in Artemundi, where we're able to keep our expenses under one 
and there's um, 0.8% uh, of all assets under management. That's what made us, um, in other words, translate a higher profit for our investors. The third golden rule will be you need to maximize your, you need to maximize your, you need to, I'm sorry, minimize your transactional costs, such as um, because of taxes and redundant commissions, meaning that if you want to buy, again, you need to buy through private collectors and also at the time of divesting of your assets, you need to do your best effort to sell through private channels. In our case, we, our average commission paid we worked some works at auction. We worked some works on investing kind dealers. We worked some. We bought works from private individuals. But at the time of divesting, um, and uh, and if you combine all of that together, we only paid about three percent commission on an average on our transactions. And sixty more than sixty percent of our transactions paid no commissions whatsoever. The fourth golden rule will be: you need to select art which can to which you can add value meaning that you can have you have an opportunity opportunity for art that art to appreciate when you buy a work by a recognized artist you buy perhaps there's going to be an exhibition two years down the road in a very important museum but you need to know these things that are um uh, basically information that is within the art market which is very difficult to access but you need to know what's happening with each one of your artists so that when you buy those works, you know when it's going to be the right time to, to, to divest of those paintings. And finally, you, which I, I already mentioned, is you need to place your inventory back in the market through private channels at the appropriate interval. And that's pretty much, in essence, those five golden rules, what is going to make an art form be successful or not be successful. We, we had you on the podcast about five years ago when you were first launching your fund, looking back, you, you just kind of described some of the golden rules and I'm curious if you could reflect a little bit more in terms of what worked really well for you guys and what, what wasn't as easy, you know, maybe you thought or some obstacles that you faced that you didn't expect when you were launching your fund. Very easy. I unfortunately, when we launched our fund, I didn't know that the regulatory environment, the administration, and the and the record keeping and um, transparency and regulations was going to be as hard as it was, and it actually demanded um, the, the fundraising from investors and and compliance was something that pretty much took up almost two years of my time that it was most of my time was dedicated to putting the fund together, to creating the structures, to create the illegal um, um, viable um, um, structure as well as in terms of taxation. And then finally, to comply with all of the requirements that were contemplated or PPM, which is a private placement memorandum, that, w that was like uh, basically the guidelines that regulated the way the fund had to be managed. Once all of that had been passed, once all the experience went through in terms of uh, accounting, accountants, lawyers, and all the different kinds of specialists that, that need to get involved uh, in a, in a uh, complex structure such as a, a fund, once you go through that exercise, it becomes a lot easier. And then finally, on year, on year three, uh, we started this in 2008, by 2000, 
11, I was finally being able to engage the team properly, mostly on the side of transacting than on the side of compliance. Although compliance is something that goes from beginning to end, uh, but it becomes more of a routine type of work, whether the most important um, aspect of our time was dedicated on, on, on sourcing, searching, researching, and practicing the due diligence of the hours that we were buying in the beginning. And then at the end of the phone was more on the um, on sourcing the clients and placing the works back in private collections, in private hands. So if we were in, on, on the next phone, obviously we have the experience now, we have the lawyers that know how we work. We have our clients that uh, we've, we've earned their trust over the last seven years and we've given them good reasons to reinvest with us. Um, uh, I would anticipate that that's going to be a much easier, a much easier process. It's interesting, given the proliferation of the art market and all the headlines it grabs, at least due to auction results, there hasn't been that much of an expansion in terms of art funds in the world, like some may have anticipated. Um, I'm curious in your view, why haven't more art funds launched in the art world? Well, I I have to say, um, I have my own theory about that. As you know, I'm the chairman of the Art Fund Association. But if you look at the hard facts um, published by, by you, by, um, by uh, Deloitte and our tactic um, finance report in 2016, uh, you know, the, the funds started like a, on, on about around 557 million and then they went up to 2014, I think it's 1, 1.27 billion of which an estimated 70 are funds, uh, 53 were in China. The U.S. and European fund market remained relatively stable in 2016. Uh, I think our departure from the market uh, uh, meant a reduction because we managed uh, about $211 million. And uh, now it's estimated at $1.2 billion in the management by 20 funds in Occident, um, according to uh, Deloitte and our tactic. I think... um, Managing an art fund, one of the most um, the, the greatest difficulties is um, again is is the legal compliance, auditing, administration, taxation. It's all the things that have to do with putting together a hedge fund, basically. Um, another thing that I think is critical and even probably more important than any of anything that I've ever mentioned is, as I mentioned before, most funds, most, most alternative funds run, they should be run very efficiently. And what I mean by running the fund very efficiently is that, that um, it's, it's with your administrative cost. If you think about... Um, most people that I've spoken to in the past, they wanted to start an art fund. They had these dreams of grandeur. You know, it's like, let's have a big art fund. Let's, let's raise a lot of money. We're going to buy the best artworks in the, in, in the art industry. We're going to put together this wonderful team of experts. We're going to have wonderful offices in London and New York, in Park Avenue or whatever. And basically, this is a fund. A fund uh, it's something that can basically be operated on fumes because your biggest operating expenses should be insuring, shipping, and storing artworks. Then 
um, you need to outsource a lot of experts. And when you're when you're producing your due diligence process, what you do is you have a team. In our case, we have a team. Our team is not composed more than ten people. Each one of them all have a degree in our history, and they're all specialty. Um, uh, um, they all have specialties in their own right. But what we do is every time we, we analyze a painting, we follow a, an investment protocol. That investment protocol is based on 20 points, and there's a valuation that each, in, each and every one of us does. When then we put, so every people has to sign off on their sheet, and then we all come up with that valuation, and if it doesn't add to, to 80% on the average of all the experts, then that is a worth that we're not gonna consider for purchase, unless something can be varied in terms of price, for example, that will be an easy one that will make that work to achieve that 80% of uh, rating that we want in order to be able to be a work that we want to buy. But if your expenses are very high, uh, remember, we gave a 17% return on our investment. If we would have had very high expenses on the fund, or if we would have paid very high commissions, if we would have paid, let's say, 10% um, commission on entry and 10% commission on exit, on every work we bought, we would have made less than zero. We would have lost money, right? Because you have the, your expenses, yeah, uh, which is your, uh, when, you, when you buy the artwork and you sell it, and then you have your administrative expenses, which is another, in our case, was less than 1%. But then you have other expenses like insurance, et cetera. So in order to turn a profit, you, uh, it's almost impossible for anyone to manage a fund like, um, let's say, from uh, basically New York. We outsource, we, we have offices in remote, I mean, for example, in Mexico City, we have offices uh, in other places where the people that are working for us, which are all very happy and, uh, and, and you know, and delighted to work with the fund, they, you know, we, we minimize, we don't, we don't have to have lavish offices. I mean, it's, it, it, it all comes to that, it's, it's a big sacrifice to turn a profit for your investors. And the only way to turn a profit for them is just minimize um, every single possible cost because you don't buy paintings for a million dollars selling for a million to the next day. I mean, everybody knows, everybody does their work in this art market and everybody knows um, it's very competitive. It's very complex and very competitive. And there are no, there are no baskets out there for uh, $2 million that can be sold for $3 million the next day. That, that is a very rare find. That's not the modus operandi that you can expect um, to make money with art. You're planning to launch a new fund, as you indicated. Given the art market and the global economy are in different places than where we were five years ago when you launched your first fund, I'm curious if you'll simply try to replicate your approach to your previous fund, or with this fund, will you have a different strategy or approach? No, yes, we do have a, a different strategy. Um, again, I think that the fund, there are several things. Um, a five-year closing fund is not suitable for everybody. Uh, they are, at the beginning, the fund was primarily focused for investors that were not necessarily art collectors. At the end, um, they, the population of the investors in the fund, which was very varied between art collectors and non-art collectors, um, some of them expressed for some of them, I know it was hard to stay in the fund for five years without seeing any profits, only seeing reports year after year, showing them how the fund was growing. 
but for others, you know, for others it was not a problem, especially for our investors, although we've been criticized that we did not cater our investors. We did not bring them to our fairs. We did not do events for them. Perhaps it's something we should have done. But my goal was always to prove the financial industry and the financial, the art financial academia that an art fund is a viable way of investing. So having said that, my main goal was to prove to these people that in the future, what we're aiming to attract is actually new money for the art world, for the art, for the art world. Meaning that if we're able to draw money from funds to funds, from family office through other, other financial sources into the art world, that is new money to the art world, which is good on the one end, because the art world, the art world keeps growing. And on the other end, we um, have access to largest amount of capital and we can be much more efficient because there's something that's called economy of scale. And actually what a fund becomes very, where, where a fund becomes extremely efficient is when you practice that economy of scale. Because basically all your basic expenses by managing a larger fund don't grow up exponentially or, or parallel to the growth of your fund. Uh, actually, it's a very small, um, it's a very mo- small impact that you're going to have when you're dealing with more assets under management uh, and, and your team remains pretty much the same. Um, I want to, uh, our strategy for our next fund is a little bit different. It's a little bit more diversified. The investment horizon, I'm trying to um, create an instrument that where uh, the investment horizon is going to be one year so people can come in, uh, commit for one year only and be able to get out if they don't like it. Uh, for that, we offer various types of investments, um, such as some of them could be co-investments on your venture that they can do for the fund. Some others are gonna be um, managed accounts, which I don't really uh, predict is gonna be a big deal of, of, uh, of business because it might be some conflicts of interest, and then ultimately you become pretty much like a consultant. And, that is, and that's not the way I see the business growing. Um, and then we were also we also consider maybe entering the world of auction guarantees. Uh, but uh, the next one we are we're already on the fundraising. We're already on the table with several large investment groups. None of them are collectors. They're basically investment pure investment groups that seen our track record and seen what we've done and seen our results. They are interested on investing in in the fund, and um, I, I plan to have more assets and less, so to speak, paintings um, in terms of the asset composition of the balance sheet. I want the balance sheet to be mostly uh, um, com- com- uh, comp- uh, comprised of assets and accounts receivable, and a few uh, and a small portion of inventory. We we might probably. And we would probably also use leverage if need be and standby letter of credits where many times our investors will be able to come in and invest in the fund without ever deploying, deploying a penny uh, into the uh, fund's bank account. But they would only do it through um, uh, uh, standby letter of credits. Javier, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your incredible insights on the art fund industry, as well as your experiences with Arte Mundi and your first fund. If our listeners want to learn more about your company, what's the website they can visit? 
So that will be, uh, the, the old fund was www.artimundiglobalfund.com, but they can also just uh, uh, go to artimundi, A-R-T-E-M-U-N-D-I.com. Perfect. Thanks so much again, Javier. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much, Adam. It's been a pleasure.